0: may be seated. What an incredible blessing for us as we sing that to put a verb behind our God. Think about all that our God does. Have you ever thought about that? If you begin with me this morning in the mind of the psalmist, I want us to take a peek over his shoulder into his journal. In Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Remember last week I told you if we're thankful, thankful people, don't forget. We remember what God's done. And we have just together sung that our God saves. But listen to this. He puts verbs behind the the name of the Lord in several different ways. In fact, there's four or five of them. He, He says, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Our God is a good God. Amen? Has God been good to you? I pray that that's the, the testimony of your life. Maybe you're in a struggle. Maybe you're in a valley. Maybe you're in a place of difficulty. But I want you to know that doesn't change the goodness of God. And it doesn't change the ability of God to save and to heal and to redeem and to crown you with righteousness and to bestow upon you loving kindness and tender mercy. I'm so thankful for the Word of God that assures us of all of those things. Well, my name is Scott Hanberry, and I have the privilege of serving here as pastor, and I just want to take a moment and welcome you. I, I hope that you had a wonderful time perhaps with family or friends this past week, and we're setting our sights now on the Christmas holidays. We have lots going on. If you received a bulletin when you came in, you'll see some of those activities, and I just want to point your attention there. In just a couple of weeks, we'll have our choir musical that morning, Carry Christmas is going on that Sunday and then the Monday following. And then on the 21st, on that Wednesday night, we'll have a very special service that we simply call Carols, Candles, and Communion. In years past, we've done that service on Christmas Eve, but we've moved it to Wednesday so that families can be together over the weekend with Christmas falling on Sunday this year. But make sure that you uh, pay attention to the bulletin and see all of the things that are there. There's some remarkable opportunities to serve, some great, great places of worship and ministry in the presence of the Lord together. If you're here for the very first time, I do want to take a moment and say this. Thank you. Thank you for choosing today to worship with us. We know that you could have been a lot of other places, but you're here, and we're grateful. If you would help us by giving us a record of your visit, in that bulletin, there's a QR code. You can scan it, and it'll take you to a very simple Connect card. And if you'll do that for us, and just give us whatever information you're comfortable giving, uh, we would love to just pray for you and to be able to say thank you for being here. On the way out today, if you don't uh, want to use that QR code, we've got paper copies of that Connect card at our uh, Connect stations. There's one right behind you in the foyer, and then there's one out these doors to the Welcome Center. But if you're a guest today, we have a gift for you. We've prepared it, and we have volunteers that are there, and they would love to just meet you and say thanks for worshiping with us. I also want to take just a second, I I know that these introductions get a little longer, but to welcome those that are watching by live stream, we have a lot of folks that were traveling this week and they're worshiping with us from a distance. So we're grateful you're here as well. Well, as we think about all of these things that are coming up that are before us, I hope that across the the next several weeks, we would focus on all the ways that God's blessed us. I I do want to make one simple announcement before we pray, and it's there in the bulletin uh, regarding our service on the 21st of December. We will have a very special benevolence offering that night. We've done that uh, across the years for various things, like the Baptist Children's Village, as we've done a Mother's Day offering. We've done other offerings like this. But this is a significant thing in our church. Most people don't have any real grasp of the magnitude of needs around us and we constantly have people that are are in in desperate need of all kinds of help. Uh, Through our association we help at times but we're able to help with gas money here and there and some food. We are able to support things like Christian services and some of the other resources in our city and uh, that is a very vital part of the ministry of our church and a way to connect with people. So Pray for our staff as they wisely walk through helping people with benevolence, but also begin now praying about what you would give that night on the Wednesday the 21st as just a, an offering to the Lord to say thank you and an opportunity to bless and to help others. Can we pray together even now? If you bow your heads with me, let's simply go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would, like the psalmist... Cry out and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless your holy name. Father, we're grateful that you execute righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We're grateful that you, as your word says, made your ways known to Moses and you act on behalf of your children. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you are slow to anger and you abound in mercy and that you Walk with us. Thank you, Father, for the promises of hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we move into this season of Advent, this season of the coming of the Messiah, as we celebrate with anticipation a day of celebrating the fact that you came to earth, incarnate, deity, veiled in flesh here on this earth, so that you could walk among us in our struggles, in our grief, in our pain. You could identify with us and you could lift us up. But more than this, you came to die. You were born and placed in a a cradle looking forward to a cross. Father, I'm thankful for the cradle of Bethlehem. I'm overwhelmed by the cross of Calvary. And today we are enraptured by the resurrection of an empty tomb and the promise of a soon-coming king. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have today of worship. We pray that everything that we do, everything that we say, would be for your honor and for your glory. May we magnify you through the giving of gifts, through the praying of prayers, even through the fellowship of the saints with one another. I pray that your word would be proclaimed this morning in such a way that your Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to each and every heart. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we give you this moment of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in worship. Together again, simply, all God's people said, Amen. "Amen." Now, I know that there are cynics in the room that think that Christmas music can't start until December. Some of you, I, I saw yesterday on Facebook such a myriad of responses. Somebody took a picture of their shed out back in their house and they said, This is a picture of my Christmas tree and this is where it belongs because it's still November. And I said, bah humbug to them. How many of you would, would be okay if we could just listen to Christmas music year-round? Amen. There's my people group. I, I'm with you. How many of you think it needs to start a little later? All right, there's a few of you. You just sang that. Emily raised her hand. That Both of them. My goodness. How many of you already have your tree up? How many of you have finished shopping? Yeah, me too, because I didn't start. I don't shop. No. Traditions are interesting in families and households. Our tradition was different this year. We've already had a Christmas celebration because uh, Haley and Lane, our, our middle daughter, came home uh, and her son, uh, our son-in-law, excuse me, her and our son-in-law. Lane, I'll get it right in a minute our daughter, Haley, and her husband, Lane, came in. They've got to work Christmas, so we already had a Christmas celebration just this past weekend. Unique, different, tra- uh, you know, tradition. Traditions change as families change. You ha- add uh, babies or you add jobs, and all of a sudden, we can't necessarily go to all of the houses at all of the times that we normally would. Traditions change, but that's okay. Today, I want to talk a little bit about traditions. If you have a, a copy of God's Word with you, I invite your attention to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue in the book of Mark and as we look today as you're turning to Mark chapter 7 we're going to start in verse 1 and work about as far as we can through this from 1 to 23 I'm probably going to bog down around 13 or 14, but we'll we'll just move forward. If you're new to our church, if you're new to Hardy Street, we are walking verse by verse through the book of Mark, and Mark has been teaching us what it looks like to walk with Jesus, what it looks like to actually have a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I, I hope that this encourages and inspires and challenges you. Now, let me say something right off the bat. Rarely do I start off a sermon with a disclaimer but today I've got to sort of give some opening remarks today's one of those days when that's necessary right off the bat I need to tell you something about this message today's scripture text and this message is for those of you who are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ today's text is about those who are earnestly and honestly open not just to tradition not just to how we've always done things, but to the Word of God being the standard that gives you the guidelines for every decision that you make in your life. I I want you to see this is for those people that worship God. It's for those that study the Bible. It's for those that memorize Scripture. It's for those that, that go to a Bible fellowship group. This is for serious folks. Christ has some things to say to all of us who desire to honor Him today. But here's the disclaimer. Jesus has to say some things to us today. They come in the the, the form of a warning and even some rebuke. I I need to be up front with you on this. This text is one where Jesus sort of sticks his nose into our religious business a little bit. He he will challenge some thoughts. He's going to shake our beehive, if you will. He may rattle your cage a little bit this morning from his word. And, And I may offend some people this morning. And if I do, then I've done my job because this text is somewhat offensive. It's not my desire, it's not my aim, and it's not my goal. I didn't come and say, hey, today I'm going to really stir things up. No, I'm just preaching the next text. And as we walk through the text, some of the things that I say today may sting. And the reason I know that is because this text has stung me deeply this week as I've studied it. My prayer is that you would think more deeply about your relationship with the Lord and that you would look hopefully beyond traditions and you would elevate God's Word above every other authority in your life. Let me just say this, if I get to temper my disclaimer a bit. As your pastor, I love you, and I want the best for you. And if I ever stand in this pulpit and tell you what you want to hear, not not what you need to hear, then I'm not doing my job. And my job is not to get into all of the fray, but to preach the Word. And God's Word is sufficient for us even today. Now, some of you are curious and going, wow, where's this going? Well, now I've got your attention. I want us to look at these words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7. And in this passage, we're reminded that it is easy and even possible for us to live lives that have a form of godliness, but don't have the power of God. In fact, let me take you to one other verse. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Timothy 3. We're going to put that hopefully on the screen, but the the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He said, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I gave the emphasis here. Read verse 5 with me. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. He says that there is a real possibility that you and I can live religious lives that have nothing to do with a relationship with the Lord, that they are filled with forms of religion, with traditions of religion. He's talking about people that would gather. They would be here on a Sunday morning. They would gather, and they would go through the motions of religion, but he says have nothing to do with them because their lives are not truly in relationship rightly with God. Now, we can very easily find ourselves in the trap of absolutely maintaining a commitment to our traditions and not to the Word of God. So, we can neglect His Word, and if we're not careful, that's what happens. And in fact, today we see that kind of a story. So, look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples had failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, let me remind you, Jerusalem is probably 75, 80 miles away from where they are. This is a delegation that has come. The word has spread that Jesus is speaking with authority and he's healing people and there's something going on up north in Galilee. So they get this delegation together and they go. Well, immediately they begin to notice some things about his disciples. They're watching them. They're, they're looking at them closely. They're beginning to sort of pick them through a fine-toothed comb. Verse 2 again. They notice that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washings of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony, and Jesus replied you hypocrites Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they, their worship is a farce for they teach man made ideas as commands from God for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition Jesus didn't mince words he laid it on the line and said, you are following one path when you should be following another. Now, let me go back to this idea of traditions. Traditions can be wonderful in our lives. We we have family traditions that I absolutely love. We we laugh through certain things that we do together almost every year. Families have traditions. Companies have traditions. Colleges have uh, traditions. Sports teams have traditions. Personal traditions in our own lives and when you when you call them traditions or habits or routines regardless of what you call them we all have them right there are certain things that we do sort of uh, habitually we we just kind of do it a set way if you don't believe me pay attention to how you brush your teeth or how you put on deodorant or how you dry yourself off after a shower You, you probably go through the exact same motions whether you think of it or not we all have formed traditions we've all formed habits And Jesus is not talking here about traditions in general. He's not talking about just those things that you or your family would do. He's referring specifically to traditions that have developed from those who claim to love God. I mean, they said these are our age-old traditions. These are religious leaders. The Pharisees and Jesus are about to come, I mean, just absolutely headlong into conflict over religious traditions and how they've become more important than the Word of God. Let me start with some definitions. So the word tradition, just write it down there in your listening guide. Tradition, what is it? It's the transmission of customs or beliefs from one generation to another. I mean, Jesus, how can that be a bad thing? Well, He didn't talk just about traditions. Again, He's going to talk about some religious tradition we'll get to in a moment, but it's just transmitting customs and beliefs from one generation to another. That's a good thing. I would like to think that my kids will think like me and believe like me, and they will act like me in, in most areas. There are other things that I don't necessarily want them to act like me in, and I pray that they would act much more like their mother. But in the middle of that, and she prays that too, I think, that there are things that we do in our lives, though, that we want to pass along. But let me take it a step further. Let's talk for a moment about religious tradition. Put that on the screen. Religious uh, tradition is the transmission of religious customs or beliefs from generation to generation believed to have divine authority, though not in the Scriptures. Now, this is going to be important. We're going to break this definition down into two parts. We're going to break this down as you all have religious tradition. You're here today. Maybe you've never been here before, and so this is a brand new one. Hopefully, you'll be here next week. Some of you have been sitting in the same pew where you are for years, if not even decades. We have religious traditions. You say, it is my tradition to be in church on Sunday morning. That's where I'm going to be. It is my religious tradition, and that's a healthy, good thing. But as we look at the words of Jesus and what he said, he's going to address things differently. Is it a good thing for us to observe the Lord's Supper? Absolutely it is. The Bible tells us, and as often as you do it. He didn't tell us how to do it. He didn't tell us how often. He just said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So it's a good tradition. Going to church and being with other believers, good tradition. It's a healthy thing for you to do. Memorizing Scripture, saying certain prayers, wearing certain clothes, and the list could go on and on. That This kind of religious tradition is healthy, but I want us to go to the second half of the definition. Sometimes we begin to believe that the way we do things come directly from God, even if they don't. We begin to attach what we like in terms of a tradition to the authority of the word of God and it doesn't ever equal up that's what the Pharisees were doing they were saying they don't love God like we do because they're not washing our hands like they're supposed to you get that? They went through a very, very meticulous process. Now, we wash our hands today because we don't want dirt or germs on our food. But they would go through a very, very ornate uh, traditional kind of process. And if they were buying from the market, they would immerse their hands. They would go all through, all through these things. And it was not anything that, that probably started out as bad. It started out as a good thing. It was literally an act of worship. God, you have given this to me, and so I want to have clean hands before I take the bounty of what you've given. The problem was they begin to encode that and say, if you don't do it our way, then you're not doing it right. If you don't do it our way, you don't love the Lord. If you don't do it our way, you're not worshiping. Now, you begin probably to go ahead of me and begin to think of all of the ways that we do that. And it becomes very, very dangerous when a church begins to take tradition and raise it to the level of authority of the Scriptures. When the Holy Spirit of God has given to us application from the Word, that's wonderful. But I can't export that to you. It's not always for all people. I may refrain from doing certain things because I have a real conviction about that, but if I take my conviction and tell you all you can't do this, that, or the other. And it can be as simple in days past as playing cards. Anybody in your growing up years couldn't play cards because of your faith or dance. How about that? Anybody See, we've got hands going up now. They were kind of like this. How many of you, you just couldn't raise your hands in church? Now some of them go, oh, I'm conflicted. What do I do? do I, I don't know how to answer that question. You begin to think about traditions that probably came out of something good, but the problem is that they begin to be taught as they have divine authority. Now, as we move forward to this, the application becomes that we have um, uh, at least equal, if not greater, authority based on the the pattern or the practice. Now, it's where God commands you to do something. I, I want you to get with me. I'm I'm trying to lay the foundation before we get into any specifics, and I could go through a myriad, and that's not the, the focus today. The focus is, I want you to fall in love with the Word of God. I want you to take the Word of God and let that be for you your guidebook for life. Now, here's what I would say. When you export personal conviction as if they came from Scripture, you promote legalism. If I tell you it is absolutely sin to go see an R-rated movie, because I have a conviction about going to see R-rated movies, and I tell you from the pulpit, as a member of this church, you better not go see an R-rated movie. Well, you couldn't go see The Passion of the Christ. That was R-rated because of the brutality that Jesus suffered on the cross. Now, some of you are saying, our pastor's going liberal. No, what I'm saying is, the Word of God better be our standard. I I don't think you should go. Some people say, well, you know, I'm not going to let my kids watch that. And my question is, what age is it appropriate for you to engage and be entertained by sin? Hello? Hello? I think you need to have some discernment and say, I'm not going to fill my mind with garbage. So there probably is a good rule to say there are certain things I'm not going to see. But if I export it as legalism and say you have to do it. Now, we, well, Jesus calls them hypocrites. He really, really presses into them. And what I want you to see as we come back to Jesus, he's confronting them in this religious tradition. And from this encounter, we learn some things about external worship and internal real worship. The point of all this is simple. Mark is trying to do all that he can to show us when we follow Christ and not just religious exercises, then it it is a joy of a relationship. You've heard this said so often that Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. It's not activity, it's actually affection. It is walking in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is crawling up in the lap of our Father and praising Him for all His bounty, for all of His goodness. And as we come to this place, I want you to see four very quick observations about the idea of these religious traditions. Number one, they never reveal spiritual maturity. Religious traditions do not reveal spiritual maturity. When I find somebody getting bent out of shape about something in the church that's not biblically based then I say they've got some growing to do when I find myself been out of shape about something that's not biblically based I've got some growing to do uh, again it brings us back to this place of Jesus they would evaluate spirituality based on the habits that they saw or didn't see in a person's life And if you begin to think about that, if they saw someone following these rules and regulations, they say, oh, they love God. If they saw someone not doing those things, they were sinning against God. How can that apply in our world? When I first started pastoring um, 150 years ago, we had church on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Anybody ever been to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? When I came to this church, this church had already moved away from the practice of Sunday evening worship. Now, a lot of church plants started and they would have Sunday morning worship or even differently, when we started our church in Idaho, we worshiped on Sunday night because Sunday mornings we went out and witnessed. We said if somebody is at home on Sunday morning, they either have never been to church or they ought to be in church and so we would just share. We'd find people all over. Well, we had people that would say, you can't do it that way. And I would say, show me chapter and verse. And we don't have church on Sunday nights here, so does that mean that we love God less than the church down the street that has Sunday night church? Yes or no? We're going, "Mm, I kind of feel that way. Some of you felt guilty at some point when that happened, and and it shifted, and here's the deal. There were Christians and even some pastors that would blast away at that church plant and say, well, they don't love God. They're watering down the gospel because they don't mean on Sunday nights, bless God. And they were taking their religious tradition and they're superseding Scripture with it and saying, if you don't do it this way, then you're not doing it right. It's interesting for us to think about. That is not at all spiritually mature. Again, to help us understand this, Mark simply takes it to one of many of their traditions. You have to wash your hands a specific way, and if you do that, you're doing right. But it's interesting that it starts with these Pharisees, and it says that they noticed. They were looking for something wrong in Jesus' disciples. Mark said that they noticed that they were not washing their hands ceremonially. And again, we come to this place where they, they say that this is one of our ancient traditions. It was in the New American Standard and other translations, it says the tradition of the elders. So they were saying, this has been passed down by us. Here's the problem. They were treating those things as if straight from God. I've said that over and over again, but it's critical for us to understand that. That's why in verse 5, when they ask, why don't they do this? Do they not love God? Do they not care? Do they not want to outwardly show that they love God? And the problem with that is a lot of people that are spiritually immature want to believe that they can work their way into holiness, and the things that they do externally matter. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, you clean up the outside, but the inside's dead. There's no power. There's no life. And you can go to church every night of the week. You can go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then every night of the week and still not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, my fear is that we're seeing such an anemia in the church because so many people aren't living with this breathing, passionate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where they long to be in His presence. And they look for His intimacy and they spend time with Him. They'll read the Bible maybe and check off a a, a checklist on their day timer and say, well, I had my quiet time. I I don't want to just have a quiet time. I want to have time with the Lord. I want to be in his presence. I want to experience his power. And that's why Paul was saying even 2,000 years ago, you can have a form of godliness and deny the power of that relationship. And he said we should have nothing to do with those kinds of people. And the point Mark is making is very simple. Your religious traditions, until you start to, there's nothing wrong with them until you start to evaluate other people by them. That makes sense? You, you may like something. We're, we're going to tie this together in just a moment. I think you'll, you'll begin to hear it. Number two, I want you to see this. Religious traditions can lead to hypocrisy. They can lead to hypocrisy. Well, I, I can go on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I'm not just picking on that. I'm using it as an example. I can do those things and live like the devil the rest of the week and not be any more spiritual than somebody that lives in a country where they face persecution and this morning they gathered under a banyan tree somewhere or they gathered in a clandestine place and whispered hymns to one another. I've met those believers. I've met believers that that have been shot at in the middle of a worship experience. I've met believers who have been beaten and put in prison for their faith. Years ago, we had a a, a mission team from a church that I was affiliated with and for the live stream, I won't go any farther than that. And they were in a country in South Asia and we got word that they had all been uh, mobbed in the middle of a Bible study. They were about to have baptism with 12 new believers and they were mobbed and they were taken to jail and the believers from that nation were beaten mercilessly. And it was hours before we heard from our team and we got the word later that they were okay, that they'd been taken by some believers in law enforcement to their own safety. But you say, well, I'm religious because I like to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Is it it more spiritual to go on a different night? No. I think the principle is this. The Bible tells us that we better not forsake the assembling together of ourselves. And so some of you would say in liberty, well, our pastors tell me I don't have to go to church on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to be here. There's probably a third or less of the people that are in this room on our Wednesday nights, and our Wednesday nights are one of my favorite times. We gather around tables, and we pray, and we experience the presence of God heal people and strengthen our church and to save the lost. And my encouragement is, why would you not want to be with the people of God? You see, if it's just a checklist, your heart's away. If it's a yearning, then you say, I want to be there. And I'm just telling you, it is so important for us to begin to check our hearts and say, what are we doing this for? Are we here on Sunday morning just so people can see us? Do we want to be a deacon so that people can see the title? Do we want to be a Sunday school teacher or in the choir so people can see our gifts? The bottom line is the religious traditions need to go away. There ought to be a waiting list to join the choir. Amen? Amen. Brother West is going... Yep. there ought to be people that say I want to worship the Lord as they were singing we'll praise his name forever we'll worship and magnify him forever now let's go on a little further Jesus calls them hypocrites it's as if he would say to us there are people that attend church but their hearts are far from me they read their Bibles but their hearts are far from me they memorize the word but their hearts are far from me they pray with eloquence but their hearts are far from me They contribute money, but their hearts are far from me. They love to sing, but their hearts are far from me. They may even talk to other people in the community about Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. He calls them hypocrites. It's interesting. The Greek word for hypocrite comes from the theater. One actor might play several parts, and to change from one part to another, they would take off one mask and they would put on another. And that word is hypocrite. It's two-faced. You act one way in one situation and another in another. And there are all kinds of religious hypocrites based on tradition. Now, all of that said, we need to just guard our own hearts that we don't do that because number three says this, that religion, uh, religious tradition can lead to false worship. Jesus said that in verse 7, that their worship is a farce. Over time, they came up with all these ideas about worship. You've got to attend at certain times and pray in a certain direction. And if you don't do it just that way, you know, they took the Ten Commandments and added 613 rules. They said you're to keep the Sabbath and to make sure that it stays holy. Therefore, we'll do things to make sure that we ensure that it's holy. You couldn't walk so many steps away from your house for fear of working. You know that you can't take a bath on the Sabbath because if you splash water over the tub, you would wash the floor, and washing the floor is work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. I I think I've told you this. In Jerusalem, we were there on the Sabbath, and it was fascinating that the elevators are automatic. You can't push the buttons on the Sabbath. We would walk there, and they go every single floor. So if you're staying at a high floor, get used to it because you're going to go to every single floor. They're just automatic. Did you know, we've talked about this, in Manhattan there is a wire that is stretched over 15 miles around Manhattan and New York because that creates community and now you can move freely about inside that community. Every single Wednesday and Thursday, a group of priests go and they make sure that that is completely in order and if it's in order and the wire is okay they spend almost two million dollars a year to keep the wire in order so that you can move freely about and go to the coffee shop if you want to on the Sabbath it's ludicrous do you see how we're just trying to find loopholes and we're stretching as far as we possibly can instead of saying you know what I want to worship God today and Jesus called them out on it now how does this begin to flesh out in our world this morning You've heard many of these. I know traditions that men cannot wear their hair a certain length. I know certain traditions that women can't wear their hair a certain length. I know traditions that say women can only wear certain clothes or men can only wear certain clothes. Certain worship styles. I know churches that would say you can only use this Bible translation. I know churches that would say you can only sing these kinds of songs. And when we do that, we are elevating our preference, our own tradition over Scripture. And we better come back to what Jesus is saying, that our hearts are far from Him, that we would worship Him with our hearts, that our worship wouldn't become a farce. It's so vitally important for us to see that. I've noticed so many of those traditions over the years regarding church buildings we, we worship the building we worship the the structures we worship the time we worship the style and all of those things begin to matter I, I'll tell you this if you want to know if it's really really gotten a hold of your heart take it away from you for a little while and see how you do with it you ever thought about that I mean, the Bible says clearly when Jesus was said, the, meeting the woman at the well in John 4, he said true worshipers worship in two ways. Do you remember what he said? My true worshipers worship with a piano and an organ. No. My true worshipers, they worship in a suit and a tie. Right? My true worshipers worship with, you, you fill in the blank. No, spirit truth. I told you I was going to rub some of you the wrong way. And I'm not saying we need to do it different for different sake. I'm saying we need to do it wisely and worshipfully for Jesus' sake that we would say it's not about the songs that I like or don't like. It's not about the, the order of service that I like or don't like. It's not about even the building or the time of worship. And parents, you better begin to teach your children to worship the Lord all the time. Go back to Deuteronomy. These men knew the Word of God, by the way. They knew the Bible. At this point, the New Testament had not been written. They knew the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, but they knew clearly that God had told Moses to teach your children these commands all the time, to teach them to love God and to love people, to teach them to love the Lord with all their heart and their soul and their mind, and we better get to that place. I've been in ministry now for 33 years, and I've seen so many man-made ideas about worship that, that really promoted the sense of a man-made focus and it's so dangerous let me just peel the top I've already dove into it I'm just being honest with you and I'm not trying to be bristly for bristly's sake I know generations of people that have said you know what interracial marriage is not biblical does the Bible say anything about marrying someone from another race No, it says another faith, right? Now, we start getting uncomfortable when we go, but yeah, but I've always been, we've always done, what I'm saying is, and I could give you 150,000 different illustrations. We could stay here all day and you could begin thinking of them. We as a church family want to have the Bible as a central authority to our lives, not just tradition, amen? It's pretty simple. I want Jesus to tell me what to do, not what we did yesterday. Amen? I want Jesus to tell me what to do, not just what I think we should do tomorrow. Now I'm going to get an amen from the other crowd. Amen? Somebody said, that's right, I don't want just, yeah, I don't either. I'm not the head of this church. I'm the pastor under the authority of Scripture. Scripture. We better follow the authority of Scripture in how we do everything, in how we run deacons, in how we run committees or ministry teams, in how we do the choir, in what we sing, and how we worship. I've told Brother West, my, my interest is this. I, I'm not interested in a blend of worship. A blend means everybody gives something up and everybody's mad. I want there to be a unified worship that Jesus Christ is squarely at the center and everything that we sing celebrates his goodness and his greatness and his majesty. And when we do that, we can all get behind that, amen? If you know him, if you love him, you want him to get all the honor and the glory. If you say, yeah, but I don't like the way we did it, that's the Pharisees. Pharisees saying, bless God, if you don't wash your hands like we wash our hands, you don't love God like we do if you're on the other side let me speak to a younger generation because some sometimes we start drawing this up generationally if you're on the other side and you say yeah but the newer songs that we sing are singing to god not about god and i like them and if we're not singing those then you're not spiritual no not at all in fact the richness and the beauty of the theology of the songs that we sing not just the hymns but all the songs that we sing because i have a, a dear brother who is not just a music leader. He's not just a song director. He is our worship pastor. And worship is the adjective, and pastor is the noun. And he wants to lead you to the throne by the songs that he leads us to sing and the lyrics that we sing. And all I'm saying and all that, everybody's going to walk away from here scratching their head and saying, What did the pastor just say? I don't want us to be hypocritical, I don't want us to have false worship. I don't want us to have the mindset of the Pharisees. Let me give you the next one. Religious traditions can lead to rejecting God's Word. They can lead to rejecting God's Word. Let's read from verse 7 forward, and we're going to wrap this up. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Jesus is saying that. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death but you say that it is right for all people to say to their parents sorry I can't help you for I have vowed to give God what I would have given to help you in this way you let them disregard their needy parents and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition and this is only one example now we don't have time to get into the backstory of what they're doing all they're doing is using God as an excuse not to do what was right God had told them to honor their parents. Oh, well, I've promised to give that money to the building program at the church, and so I can't help you. And oftentimes it was just a selfish way of them getting out of doing what was right. The bottom line is there's a progression that happens here. Step one, very simply, teach religious tradition as God's Word. Step number two, ignore God's Word for their tradition. Step number three, sidestep the word of God so that you can handle that tradition as the focus. They were intentionally avoiding what God's word said so that they could keep up with what they wanted. There, there's so many things. Ultimately, they canceled the word of God for their tradition. Verse 13, you cancel the word in order to hand down your tradition. And Jesus said, this is just one thing. Folks, what I'm trying to say is this. There are days in the past 33 years of pastoring that I've gotten emails or letters. Pastor, I don't like this, that, or the other. We're not doing this right. We did this wrong. We should be doing this instead of this. And my question is, where in the Word of God do we back that up? And, and, and I've had people all but say I I don't care what the word of God says I think we should do this that is a dangerous place to be would you agree with me if we ever get to that place we're in trouble you're in trouble your family is in trouble if you develop that mindset your family is in trouble if you ever get to the place where you say I don't care what the bible says I believe I think I want whatever you fill in the blank with you've slipped off a slope The Bible is given, as God says about himself in his word, I've given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Oh, that we would walk in freedom. It's not the freedom to do whatever we want. It's now the capacity to do what he would want us to do. Let me say that again. Because sometimes we we say, well, I don't want to be legalistic, but you better not run to license either. Okay, I'm not talking about license where you can just do whatever you want because you're already forgiven. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. See, those are the people that do things religiously and do not know God. Freedom, real freedom, not license, freedom. It's not now the ability to do whatever you want. It's the capacity to do whatever he wants you to do. In my sinful state, I cannot please God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible. Please, God. I, I could have picked a million other examples, and illustrations, and we could walk through a myriad of things. My encouragement is this, that you would go home today, that, that a message like this would lead you to the place of saying, Father, I'm sorry. It would lead you to repent and say, Lord, I've made this about me, not you. If we as a church say we've always done it that way, we need to ask the question, why? And we need to ask the question, should we still? And there will be some things we say, this is a flag we will plant because it's based on the word of God and we will not waver from it. You see, part of the issue in our nation is that we've pulled up a lot of those flags and a lot of those stakes and we pulled up a lot of those markers and we've lost our mooring and we're drifting at sea. If I skipped over Mark 7 today, I would be like any of the other churches that just want to tell you to feel good about yourself. And I'm not trying to beat you up today, I'm trying to build you up. Because the joy and the freedom of seeking God solely and first, preeminently, changes everything. I've been in pastoral ministry now for almost 35 years. And in 35 years of serving the Lord in churches, I've led churches to do things that were based on tradition and not the word, sometimes out of fear. (laughs) I I don't want to do that. I don't want this church to be that kind of church. Thank God we're, in many respects, not. There's a group of people in the core of this church that are praying for revival. They're seeking the heart of the Lord. They're seeking the presence of God. There are men and women in this church that are serving. I I, I had the opportunity, I won't say it's a good opportunity, but I had the the occasion to go to the hospital numerous times this week, and, and sometimes when I got there, one of our deacons had already been there or was there when I got there. I love that. And they're doing what the Bible says they ought to do. Oh, that we would be that kind of a church. See, your kids need that. Your grandkids need that. Let's plant the flag on the Bible and not stray from that. And let's filter everything else we do through that. Does that make sense? Amen. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this word. I pray that we would never, ever replace your word, sidestep your word. We would never move away from your word, but we would seek you first in all that we do. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for a church that loves the word, that loves the preaching of the word, that that stands on the word. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts even this morning, that we would respond. It may not be visible response, Lord, of people walking down an aisle, but I pray that they would turn in their hearts to you and, and they would confess and forsake. Religious tradition that has nothing to do with the authority of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing through a verse of one song. It's a song of response. Maybe you do need to come to the altar and just pray. Maybe you need to pray with one of our encouragers. Perhaps you need to start a relationship with God. We have prayer partners that would love to take God's word and just walk through that with you on how you can do it. You respond to him in whatever way. He's calling you too. Be seated for just a moment. I'm going to ask Austin Altman to make his way up here to the platform for a moment. You guys can be seated if you'd like to. We're not going to take but just a moment. Most of you know Austin. Austin is a recent, second time graduate of William Carey University, just finished his Master's of Business Administration. Y'all give him a hand for that. <laughs> Austin has served as our student pastor for the last couple of years. He served on our staff for a time. He has been such a faithful part of what's going on here. We have watched him grow up before our very eyes. He and his wife Hannah uh, got married uh, two years ago, almost two years ago. We're coming up on that. They're having a baby soon. We celebrate that. We've watched him grow as a minister. We've watched them grow as a family. And as he was graduating, he came to me some months ago, and we just began to talk about and pray through what the, the next decisions in his life would be in the next direction. Tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, you got a, a business degree with kind of one thought in mind about what the Lord might be doing.
1: Yeah, so um, we knew that this would be a big year in our lives. Um, Hannah graduated, Hannah graduating um, with her undergrad and then me starting my undergrad, uh, my uh, graduate program um, and finishing that up at the end of October and then finding out that we were having a baby. Um, so we knew that there were um, you know, big decisions coming up and big things happening. Um, and so part of that, um, what we were uh, going to do is that using my MBA, I was gonna continue um, serving um, by vocationally and uh, I actually had a job lined up with my dad's company um, to, to work there full time and continue uh, using that as an avenue of serving uh, by vocationally. Um, And as we begin to, uh, you know, seek the Lord for confirmation, um, you know, that's kind of where we were going um, in that direction.
0: Okay. God began to stir in your heart really a deeper love for the church and Mm -hmm. a sense of that not being the path that he wanted for you. Mm -hmm. So talk this.
1: Yeah, so as we got closer to time, I was supposed to start with my dad's company at the end of October. um, And so as we got close to time toward the end of September, um, around mid-September, Um, I had a conversation with my dad about the job, and Hannah was there um, because I came over to visit, Um, and just after that conversation, uh, we just felt the Lord saying that something wasn't right, this wasn't the direction we were supposed to be going, and that's when we really um, had to begin seeking Him and praying um, a lot together about what does this mean and what does this look like and where might the Lord be leading us.
0: So kind of give us the, the next step. We, we know, obviously, people seeing us interview and talk know that there's something going on there. But God is doing something great in their lives. And I don't ever want us to look at a transition of any sort as, I mean, it's bittersweet because there is a sense of change. But at the same time, we want to celebrate what God's doing in their lives. So Austin, share with us what's going on.
1: Yeah, so um, after uh, Hannah and I had lots of conversations about that, Um, We uh, had a long uh, phone conversation um, one day, and at the end of that conversation, we both agreed that the Lord was uh, leading me to pursue a role of serving in full-time student ministry. Um, And that was uh, a goal and a dream he had given me when I first surrendered to ministry. And so during this process, he was just reminding me of what he had called me to. Um, And so um, I went in view of a call and uh, the church, Voted last Sunday in confirming me to uh, bring me on as their full time student pastor starting in December.
0: And tell us where?
1: Um, at First Baptist in Philadelphia, Mississippi.
0: So they'll be, they'll be transitioning from here. Can I just say this? Um, I'll take my pastor hat off for a second. It'll be dad. He has been student pastor to our daughter and to many of her friends, obviously. We've watched students come to faith in Jesus Christ under the ministry of this man. We've watched them grow and learn in the Word. We watched them go to camps and conferences and D-NOWs, and God has blessed our family through Austin and Hannah. We are so thankful for their service, and I'm excited about what God's doing in this next step in their life and providing for them as their family grows into this place, their house hunting and those kinds of things. Next Sunday, because of the nature of all of our Christmas schedule with things that are going on later, Next Sunday, we're going to have a reception for them. We want to encourage them. We want to bless their socks off. We we want to bring gift cards. We want to bring cards. You want to show up. It's just going to be a come-and-go reception after the service, but it'll be a great time just to see what God's done. And next Sunday, we will lay hands on them and pray over them. I don't ever want us to think of us losing someone, but rather seeing the expansion of the footprint of ministry from this church. I believe that what God will do in and through you and Hannah and your family there will be an extension of the prayers of the people here. Amen? You know, in Antioch, if Paul had been kept back, if they had said, no, Paul, we don't want you to go, you're our best Sunday school teacher, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. God would have done it some other way, but you realize that God released Paul and others to go. And we're releasing them to God. We're sending them in this. We love you, and we look forward to hearing an incredible report about what will happen the days ahead. Hannah, if you wouldn't mind coming and standing with Austin. Y'all want to come by and hug their necks this morning and just love on them and encourage them. But next Sunday, we'll have uh, a reception for them, and we want to pray for the church. Austin and I, this morning, we were just talking about it. There's a group of teenagers here that, that are hurting. Pray for them. There's a group of teenagers there that are curious and anxious and excited about a new youth pastor coming in. Pray for both groups. Pray for that high school. Pray for that community. Pray for their home uh, that they'll find just the right place there as a a haven and a headquarters for ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can you... And beyond that, can we just give them a, a round of applause and appreciation for all that God has done in and through their ministry? let's pray together Father we thank you so much that we stand on a long stream of people being sent that you sent your son from heaven to earth as he returned to heaven he sent the Holy Spirit he sent out his apostles the church sent out missionaries and today we send out Austin and Hannah We live with open hands knowing that you can supply every need that they have. You can supply the needs that we have and that you are working. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one church gathering. And God, we pray that they would be an incredible blessing to the people of Philadelphia, Mississippi. We pray for their ministry into the future. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for what you have done across the, the decades of the life of this church. And thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. We ask for your blessing. We ask that we would stay close to you, that you would guide us and guard us, that we might experience your presence and power. In Jesus' name, said, amen. You're dismissed.